0: standing, and there's some call and response, which you're invited to respond with where you see the bold. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Folks, before we go further in the sermon today, just a reminder, the text is in your bulletin, which hopefully you were able to receive on the way in. It's on the screen. It comes down. This is so you can keep tracking, and we refer back to the text a lot. And also, before I go further, sometimes it's really important to to name some sources or just influences in case it's just... In case I ever make you think that all these ideas are straight from me, because they hardly ever are. And so it's good good for me, for my ego, and good for you to know a lot of wise men and women have spoken on this passage many times for millennia. Um, Particularly today, J.D. Greer, who's a pastor uh, in the South. Trevor Hudson, who's a South African pastor. And our very own Carol Davis, who's also going to give an invitation of sorts at the end of the sermon today. So if you're reading along uh, this story about Bartimaeus, his name literally means son of Timaeus. Well, on the simplest level, this is a passage about asking Jesus for something. It's a passage about prayer. Jesus meets a helpless man. And Jesus knows exactly what this helpless man needs. It's not a mystery. And at the same time, Jesus says, I want you to ask me. He knows exactly what he needs, and he says, I need you to pray about it. I need you to ask me. And I think this is actually one of the pretty big problems that a lot of us have with prayer generally. If God knows what I need, <laughs> if he knows everything, then why would, I ask? why would I ever ask, unless he's messing with me? A lot of you have this problem. And maybe even if prayer is new to you and you don't even consider yourself a Christian and you're here today listening in and learning something about what Christians believe, this might strike you now or in the past as a problem. If he's there and he loves us and he knows everything, why do I have to ask? And um, for some of us, this question leads to other questions. For example, the book of Isaiah, chapter 46, verse 10, says that God knows the end from the beginning. The beginning from the end. That means, a theological word for that is that he is sovereign. He knows everything. You can't surprise him. You can't surprise him about what has happened, and you can't surprise him about what's yet to come. And it also means that he's going to do what he's going to do. Outcomes can't surprise him, and his purposes can't be thwarted. And that, that raises all kinds of other things about prayer for some of us. If he's going to do what he's going to do, what difference could it possibly make if I ever ask him for anything? J.D. Greer wrote a book. It was published like three weeks ago. It's a simple book. It's called Just Ask. And he cites a theologian from about 200 years ago named A.A. Hodge, who served for 60 some years at Princeton Seminary, just about 50 miles from here in Jersey. And there's a really thoughtful, but I think also hilarious uh, discussion that A.A. Hodge has with this problem. Why ask God for anything ever if he knows what he's going to do? This is what Hodge says. He kind of poses a question back to you. Does God know the day that you'll die? You can all ask and answer that question. Does God know the day that you will die? The answer is yes. Is there anything you can do about that day? No. The day's fixed. Can anything you do really change that day? No. Well, then why do you eat? You eat to stay alive. What happens if you don't eat? Then you'll die. So if you don't eat and then you die, will that be the day that God has preordained for you to die? Did you just, like, make it happen? And then Hodge pauses and says, why don't you stop asking stupid questions and just eat? And his point's this. Eating is the preordained way that God has set for living in this life, for staying alive, for flourishing. In the exact same way, prayer is the means that God has preordained for getting his will done in this world. Just ask. Prayer's very simple. It's very simple, but we complicate it. And while we complicate it, those who simply ask are receiving wisdom and insight. And they're drawing near to the heart of God. And they're being healed in untold ways. Prayer is simple, and we complicate it. At the very heart of Jesus' teaching about prayer in the Gospels is pray like a child. We've seen it again and again in the Gospel of Mark. Like a child. And what's a child like? Kids ask for stuff boldly, shamelessly. It's a relationship of simplicity. And this this is a passage where a helpless blind man simply asks, simply asks. Verse 46, Bartimaeus is a blind beggar. In other words, it's in his eyes, at least in the eyes of those around him, shouting him down and saying, stop, ask, don't, stop asking, don't bother the Messiah. He keeps asking, and it seems like he's really good at it because he's a beggar. It's what he does. He begs. And in this way, what I want you to see is that there is a childishness about Bartimaeus, because there has to be. I'm not trying to insult the guy who's really got a really bad disability. But there's a childishness about him that Jesus blesses. What is it? Just like a child, he asks for what he needs because he knows that he cannot get it for himself, and for this, and for everyone who asks this way. He's blessed. And everyone who doesn't ask this way, just remember a few weeks back to the rich young ruler who doesn't have any idea how to ask like a helpless person. He comes to Jesus saying, what's required of me so that I can do what I need to do to inherit the kingdom? It doesn't work that way. It never works that way. It's not meant to work that way. Childishness. He begs twice, verse 47, verse 48. It's what he does. But this time he's begging Jesus, and he says twice, Son of David, have mercy on me. Beggar, shut up. Louder now. Son of David, have mercy on me. A couple things you need to hear in 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 those words. Son of David. Jesus isn't commonly referred to as the Son of David. It's what we call a messianic title. Messiah means anointed one. And who's anointed? Kings are anointed. David, the great and high king of Israel, who governed the golden age of Israel, who received a promise that one day another king who outshied him by a million miles would come and reign and reestablish the kingdom, but better is getting that tiled. You, the prophesied son of David, have mercy on me. You, the mighty warrior king, have mercy on me. What you need to hear in this is that Bartimaeus is addressing Jesus with a knowledge of his identity that's pretty, pretty amazing compared to how everybody else relates to Jesus. When you see, son of David, have mercy on me, twice, Bartimaeus is basically saying, merciful warrior. Warrior king, have mercy on me. You need both, see. He's merciful, but he's a warrior. He can do anything, but he's merciful Mercy. Mercy is what I need. Here's what you need to hear in the word mercy. The simple phrase, eleison, in Greek. It's one word. Mercy is what I need. In other words, I have no illusion that you have something that is owed to me. Merciful warrior... I know how much you have, but not for a second, like the rich young ruler. Do I think that I have a single claim on anything you can do for me? And you'll walk right by, and you'll have every right to. But my only plea is that there's some mercy in your heart for me. So I'm going to keep screaming when they try to shut me up. Because mercy is my only hope. He cries out for mercy, verse 49, 50. Mark says that once Jesus hears him over the people saying, shut up, Jesus hears him and says, call him. And when it gets word to him that he's being called, he throws off his cloak. Mark, it's a very short passage. Words are kind of at a premium here. He doesn't have to include that detail. Why does he? Because you can bet it's the only thing he owns in the world. It's what he covers himself when it gets cold. It's what he probably uses to collect his change, wrap it up, take it with him, and then drops into the sand. Throws it off, easily thrown off, as the only thing now between him and the merciful warrior. And when he gets to Jesus, Jesus asks, What do you want me to do for you? That frustrating question. He's blind, Jesus. (laughs) Somebody had to lead him to you. He can't see. What do you want me to do for you? It's not a rhetorical question. It's not a rhetorical question. Of course Jesus knows what he needs. But it's not a rhetorical question. What do you want me to do for you? There's something, brothers and sisters, I want you to see that you absolutely need here. And it's at the heart of every prayer you'll ever pray. This question is not about information. I think this is where we get stuck, when we get frustrated about prayer. It's not about giving God information ever, because He is sovereign. You're not wrong about that if you get stuck about that. It's not about information. It is about communion. It's about communion. Now, you know that information alone does not lead necessarily to communion. I'll give you an example. All of the robots that Google and Amazon own that can tell you probably everything about your height and your weight and your work history and your family history and collecting data on you. And maybe you like it or maybe you don't. Know all about you. Maybe know things about you and your patterns of life that are mysteries unto you. And there is zero love for you in that. Information does not necessarily lead to communion. It's very useful information. Jesus doesn't need it. So why is he asking? When Jesus says... Bartimaeus, what is happening? What do you want? He's not requesting information. He's requesting access. Access. And it can't work another way. You have to give him access. It's about giving Jesus access into an area of your life so he can begin to move with your welcome. Have you ever been around a scared child? Whether you're a parent or not, maybe a little brother, little sister, cousin, somebody you babysit, somebody on your block. You don't need to wonder if a child is scared. Maybe it's like a social, maybe they're going to... My daughter's going to kindergarten, my middle child, uh, in about nine days for the first time. Um, maybe it's a social situation. Maybe they're going to the doctor to get a shot. Maybe it's something actually way scarier that kids in our city face all the time. They often kind of hover a little bit. They, 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 they kind of cower behind you sometimes. Maybe there's a little bit of trembling in their voice or you know, some tears. And sometimes when my kids are like that, they say, sometimes they don't, sometimes they do say, Dad, I'm scared. And when they say that, I don't say, God help me. I probably do. I don't want to say, I don't need you to tell me that. I know you're scared. Because it's not about information. They're giving me access into their lives for that moment so that my love for them can enter in. And this really requires a lot of faith, but I swear it's true. And if you believe this, you'll pray. When you give Christ access so His love for you can enter in, Things will happen that would not happen otherwise. It's it's the truth. The relationship between you and Christ will follow a different trajectory into the future because you did. And same thing with human relationships. Pastorally, I am sorry if you come and we sit down together and we talk about something and I drag something out of you and start to drive counsel into you, first of all, rather than listen you into speaking. That's what Jesus does. And he'll do it for you. Listen you into speaking. Most of us aren't kids, but Jesus says, pray that way. The problem is for grown-ups like you you and me. The problem is for grown-ups... Most of the time, we're not very good at listening to our own pain. And I think this is a little bit of why we're an addictive society. I don't want to answer that question. I don't want to spend time with any question. Like, what is really going on? Like, what is the pain that you bear? What's between you and God? What are the tree trunks that have fallen across the path that you don't even care that get lifted off again? What other god do you serve? And you know it'll be a disaster, but you don't want to look at it. This is why we're an addictive society. This is why we say, I'll just keep shopping, or I'll keep working a little earlier, a little later, or I'll have another drink, which might be fine, except for we always know when it's not. right? Or perhaps we just get very, very angry. And I think that's a lot of us. Just get very, very angry because it's not going anywhere. You can be sure of that. What is happening? What do you want? It is not a rhetorical question. So, in order to open your heart and to grant Jesus Christ access, there is some faith required. One more time here in the Scripture, we're assured that any hope, any salvation, any relationship with Christ comes by faith. The blind man says to Jesus, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said, go your way, your faith has made you well. It was a big ask. But there was faith in the merciful warrior's ability. And I don't know how much faith you have, that he can do a thing to heal your painful family history. How do you pray about Afghanistan? Be real honest for a second. Can you even imagine what is happening to the environment? It feels cosmic. And whenever it feels that way, you've already in your in your in your heart answered a question. The merciful warrior is much, 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 much smaller than that. And he's not. And I'm not going to give simplistic answers to the many pains that you have. But along with all the saints across the millennium, I swear to you, he's not. He's the cosmic merciful warrior. Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. A couple things here. You know, when, when we see Jesus healing people in the Gospels, and we see it a lot, we, we tend to think of his healings as either physical in nature, like he heals blind people, he cures the lame, or spiritual in nature, like he says your sins are forgiven. In reality, most of the time, the spiritual and the physical are different aspects of the same event. We see people being healed and following, coming to him for, the, for healing in the first place, which assumes faith on their part, some spiritual work being done on a deeper level. So in some comprehensive way, we can say salvation has come to this man, body, and soul. And we know this because when Jesus says, go your way, he doesn't. Did you see that? In the very final verse, Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Followed him on the way. And the way is to Jerusalem. It's been face forward to Jerusalem since the Mount of Transfiguration. Jerusalem in the text is less than two weeks away. The cross is less than two weeks away. One verse later is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. It's the road of the cross that this man who's just been healed follows Jesus on. And that means this is not so much a story about fixing a broken man. As it is, a story about rehabilitating a worshiper, restoring a lost son to communion with his creator. Here his eyes receive sight. At the cross, his sins will be atoned for by the merciful warrior. Death itself will be made a defeated enemy by the self-sacrifice of Christ on the cross for all his brothers and sisters, things that he needs that he doesn't maybe even know about, will be healed and put behind him for eternity. He's saved. And this is our open door for communion as well. The cross. The cross is an open door for you. What do you want me to do for you? because I'm not trying to be cute. A gospel isn't just a biography. It is a presentation of a person so that every reader might be welcomed into the kingdom. That was the intent from the moment Quill was put to parchment. It's your question. It's for you. What do you want him to do for you? Maybe you need salvation. Maybe you do not know what will happen when you die. Or maybe, like a lot of us, you're way more frightened for your kids than you are for yourself. Maybe you need healing for a wound. Maybe you're facing a despair that you think is bigger than this merciful warrior. I just leave you the words, just ask. Ask boldly. With that, I want to invite up Carol, who wants to give you an additional invitation. Please listen.
1: So before we um, come to the table, before uh, John introduces us to come to the table, we wanted to have, I wanted to give you two invitations. One is an invitation to some quiet reflection, just a couple of minutes. Just a couple of minutes of quiet reflection. So what is stirring in your heart as you heard this Bartimaeus story? As you heard Jesus' words to him, what are you hearing about your word, his words to you? Let's notice something. Let's remind ourselves something about the story again. So first of all, we have to notice that Jesus' first words you know, in this story weren't particularly to Bartimaeus. They were about Bartimaeus. Jesus says to the crowd, call him. And so I want you to know that Jesus is the one that has called you here this morning. You're here because of his invitation, whether you know it or not. You might think you're here because this is your duty. You want to check your spiritual box of Sunday worship? Check. You might be here because it's habit. You might be here because somebody invited you. But no, it was Jesus inviting you. So let's be like Bartimaeus. When Jesus called Bartimaeus, what did Bartimaeus do? He leapt at the chance of coming to Jesus. So that's the first thing that Bartimaeus did. So let's be like that. Let's leap at the chance of coming to Jesus. But let's remember some other things that he knew. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the warrior king, the merciful warrior king, as we heard from John, that knew exactly what to do and knew that, and Bartimaeus knew that he could heal him. And so that's why he came. And he knew that he could protect him and he could rescue him. And he knew that he couldn't heal himself, and he couldn't save himself. His needs were too great. And he knew also that Jesus didn't owe him anything. And that's why he cries out, have mercy, have mercy. And he knew it was all a great gift to be healed by Jesus. And so that's why he followed him all the way to the cross, all the way to Jerusalem. So let's be like Bartimaeus, and let's respond to that question that Jesus asked him. What do you want me to do for you? This is God's personal and intimate question to you right now. Now, Bartimaeus knew so clearly what he needed, and maybe you know that need this morning. Ask Jesus to meet that need As we go into the quiet, believing that he will, he wants to, he loves you, but maybe you're more desperate than Bartimaeus, and your faith is like that smoldering wick. Ask him for the faith. Remember that he promises not to put out that smoldering wick. He wants to hear you. He wants to meet that deep need. As John says, he only needs access. And maybe you come here and you're just in a state of dis-ease. You don't know what it is, and you might not know what it is because you're so busy that you don't want to face what's going on deep in your heart. In the quiet, ask him to show you what that is. He longs to meet you and have you go deeper with him. And maybe, as John said, some of you are acknowledging for the first time your need for Christ to save you. Come to him, acknowledging that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. But also acknowledge that Jesus can save you. And he wants to save you because not only is he that warrior king, but he's that suffering servant that went to the cross to reconcile you with his father. And he wants to shower that great mercy and love on you now. So take a few minutes in the quiet and just ponder these things in your heart before the Lord. And then John's gonna come up and lead us in communion.